You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Thank you very much for joining us on Sunday morning. This is a show that covers health and well-being, celebrating the people and services in our local community and being inspired by those beyond. Today marks the end of a week of focus on men's health. Therefore, today's show focuses on our expectations and perceptions of what it feels like to be a man in 2016 and whether those whether those ideals, beliefs and expectations lead to good or bad physical and mental health. So the structure of the show will talk about physical health and check specific to men. We'll talk about stereotypes, expectations, um, expressing yourself as a man. And we will investigate whether there is such a thing as menopause. My guest in the studio today is Mikey Nicholas. Welcome, Mikey. Hi. It is great to um, it's great to have you in the studio with me. Um, Mike, we're, we're also going to be joined by Pasquale Vartuli a little bit later, who you might know has a show on Saturdays, I believe, Saturday afternoons, but um, he can't get here till after the news. So Mikey and I are going to hold the port until then. Yeah, we are. So let's kick off with physical health and the state of our nation, Mikey. So I was looking at some statistics. We'll go between us because I'll, I'll go with my little bit to start off with and then I'd love you to give us some statistics about some of the cancers that are around. Okay, the prostate sure. and the, um, uh, what's the other one we're going uh, to talk prostate about? Prostate and bowel cancer. And bowel cancer. Obviously, the focus this week has been on physical outcomes for men's health and how awareness and pre- prevention is a vital part of addressing a number of illnesses. In the news this week, there's been prostate cancer, bowel cancer. Talk about testosterone issues, which are rarely spoken about, really. But one of the things that really got me when I was doing the research is how more men are diagnosed with prostate cancer than women with breast cancer, which I hadn't really, um, I hadn't really got. In fact, I think the the one that came from the WHO was more men die of prostate cancer than women from breast cancer. One in two Australian men will be diagnosed with cancer. The life expectancy is six years less than women. Five preventable male deaths occur every hour. 8,000 more men than women die each year due to preventable causes and disease. Uh, One in nine Australians will be diagnosed with prostate cancer. So that's all quite sobering. Uh, And what we have to remember is those numbers are our fathers, our uncles, our brothers. Um, They're all people within our lives, our friends. Um, so the impact of someone getting one of those illnesses is has a ripple effect on the community around them. So let's take a brief look at what can influence those outcomes. Lifestyle illnesses account for 63% of global deaths, according to WHO, the World Health Organization, which makes non-communicable diseases the leading cause of death in the world. That's quite huge if we really contemplate that, 63%. So we have to ask how we are living and what coping mechanisms we're employing that's causing so much harm to the body that we're not really bringing in changes for our own health. And I've noticed recently just the massive surge in type 2 diabetes and obesity. And of course, obesity is also um, a key indicator with heart issues and um the I think there's some really somewhere in our my paperwork here there's some fairly shocking statistics for heart health 
which I might come to a little bit later. So when we when we look at that uh, and we look at the fact that we could be making different choices which would have different outcomes and we look at the coping mechanisms we mechanisms we have we take on that have proven to aggravate our health things for example like alcohol drugs smoking food excessive sport could be in there and anger really could be in there too but they're not not obvious on the list, though, that uh, food, sport and, and anger, but they, as we've shown in previous shows and we'll have them in coming up, you know, they, they definitely impact. So let's look at how society sets met boys up uh, to have a picture of how they should live and if that picture lends itself to consider self-care and tenderness as a, a vital part of the of the must-haves in the toolbox of health. Um, epigenetics. This is something, Mikey, we were talking about a little bit before we came on air. Had you heard of epigenetics before now? Um, I had. We actually looked at it in um, PE during school, how, yes, there's the genetics that your parents will pass down to you, but there's also factors that you can choose to activate or um, kind of repress in your body, so whether you want to pass them on or not. Yeah, that's it. So um, I was looking at Epigenetics website. They had a, a really great analysis of it. And then they also at the bottom said, if you want a simplified version of this, click mm-hmm. here. So I went to the simplified version, which is fantastic. I will put a link up to it on, on the website. But it talks about um, cells, DNA, the sequence or order of the bases and, and within those three million bases, what happens. Uh, and that's the that's genetics and then it goes on to epigenetics um, and how they control genes and that they're everywhere and they make us unique and that they're reversible. Mm. So um, I could have read you all that but they had a really good analogy and I thought the analogy was most appropriate for the show. So I'll, I'll read this to you and then Mikey you tell me if it makes total sense to you. Think of the human lifespan as a very long movie. The cells will be the actors and actresses essential units that make up the movie. DNA, in turn, would be the script. Instructions for all the participants of the movie to perform the role. Subsequently, the DNA sequence would be the words on the script and certain blocks of these words that instruct key actions or events to take place would be the genes. The concept of genetics would be like screenwriting. Follow the analogy so far? Good. I'll take that as a yes. The concept of epigenetics then would be like directing. The script can be the same, but the director can choose to eliminate certain scenes or dialogue, altering the movie for better or for worse. After all, they say, Steven Spielberg's finished product would be drastically different than Woody Allen's for the same movie script, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think that's a good analogy that especially um, in this day and age that you can take more control of your health that, um, again, because I do PE for my year 12 subject at school, one of those major focuses is health and developing health in our world and people taking responsibility and even governments taking responsibility for how we can alter our health. So one aspect is also the genetics, um, how now it's not just something that's predisposed that you can, yeah, the director can change this movie, which is your life. Yeah. And we are the director, aren't we? We do yeah. have ultimate choice. We've got free choice. We may, it may not be very helpful that um, the the marketing 
tries to influence influence us in a way that makes us think we don't have any choice or the what the quality of product that's in the shops makes us think that we don't have any choice but ultimately the mouth is on our body the hand is part of our body it has to get the food from the plate or from the packet into our mouths therefore we have ultimately mm. a choice so um it is i always think it's really good to sort of come back and say okay we have that choice but also we have a choice about the way we live that's what we'll come to after our first song which is when we're going to talk about stereotypes and how from very very young boys little boys are told what's manly and what's girly and put them in two different camps all right okay. all right okay so you're listening to triple h 100.1 fm Welcome back, Triple H 100.1 FM and Stay in the Loop with Lucy. Before the break, we were talking about um, the state of the nation, as I like to call it, you know, looking at um, health and what's what what the state of our health is. We're talking about men's health um, right at the end of Men's Health Week. And I think actually what I thought was quite a quiet week talking about mental health on, on um, social media. It was a bit of a shame that there wasn't more. Um, you know, so I thought that was quite an interesting observation. But maybe it's reflective of the amount of mm, uh, focus we place on it. So today in the studio, I have got Mikey. Welcome again, Mikey. And Pasquale has joined us. Hello, Pasquale. Hello, Lucy. Nice to see you both. Nice to be here. So um, you missed out on us talking about the uh, epigenetics, which was fantastic because epigenetics tells us that we can make a difference to what we think is a genetic predisposition within our family. So it tells us that we have the potential to change. So we decided that after the song we would talk about the stereotypes. So we'd actually say, how far back does society or our family tell us how we're supposed to be as a boy or a girl? Here we're talking about boys and men, so keep it very much focused on, you know, a boy. So I would I would like to, to start off by saying, I've heard man up and don't throw like a girl, which is kind of completely insulting to both because the girl sits there and goes, well, what's wrong with the way I throw? And the boy says, actually, I thought that was a good throw <laughs> and suddenly becomes completely paranoid about their physical movements. So what, what other ones have you heard that's, that sort of put you words, ways of speaking, um, whatever society is Well, said? it's interesting you should say that, Lucy, because um, the main stereotype in Australia, I'm from an Italian background. I came out when I was six months old and uh, growing up in an Italian family, the classic stereotype I found quite grating for me I consider myself an Australian, but I have such a, a deep root in uh, my Italian culture that I, I just can't understand how men can always congregate amongst themselves when there are women. I've you noticed know, that. Yeah, I, um, I often used to go to parties with my wife, dinner parties or, or um, functions, barbecue, and I'd gravitate to the women. I'd sit around and talk to them. And the people, the, the fellows were standing over there near the barbecue, all looking at me at one stage. My wife ticked me off. She said, politely, I might add, said, well, you know, you should be with the men. And I thought, no, I don't want to be with the men. Yeah. I prefer company of women. 
Yeah, or the people you want to talk to, yes. either sex. I, just, fa- I find yeah. women more interesting yeah. because when you're at the barbecue, the stereotype kicks in. You've got to talk about the footy. You can't talk about anything that's emotional or, or that's uh, any uh, problems that you've got. You, you just don't talk about those things. Men yeah. aren't expected to uh, open up to each other, whereas women, you know, they get into their emotional under- underwear very quickly. <laughs> they do. I, I rather admire that, actually, it's in great. women. And it's a great support. Uh, mechanism for women. They can talk about it, uh, their problems that, and, and discover that they're not alone. Yeah. Um, I, I've always found women fascinating. Um, Certain Women was a, a program on the ABC. It's probably you're too young probably to remember that, uh, Lucy. But uh, it was a fascinating insight into Australian women. June Salter was one of the actors. That's how the calibre of the, the actors uh, there were. We, we can't call them actresses anymore. We call them actors. And the discussion of women and uh, day-to-day problems, I found fascinating. Great point. Yep. You got another one? Oh, I don't know. I suppose um, you, we've just got to be men. Um, you've, you know, I'm 59 and uh, feeling my age. Um, I suppose men are expected to dress a certain way and act a certain way and can't show emotion. Uh, so I, I admire the fact that, uh, say, Bob Hawke was able to show his emotion and people didn't think he was a sissy. Now, they're the use of the word sissy. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, you were told not to be a sissy, yeah. um, meaning that uh, you, were, you, were, you weren't a man. Yeah. Um, so uh, you, those commercials saying man up and uh, don't throw like a girl, I think are very good because we should be um, moving away from that type of stereotype because the women do have... Um, an equal role in society. That's the one thing that uh, when I started work, um, there were hardly any women in the workforce. Now we've got uh, a greater proportion of women and uh, hopefully it'll be equal. But everyone's got a different role in life. Uh, Women bear children um, and and their mothers. Men uh, become fathers and um, act accordingly to the stereotype of fatherhood. They don't stay home and look after the kids and take them to preschool and the rest of it. Um, look, we, we're probably going to break that down. Um, but, um, yeah, being a man in Australia in 2016, it's, uh, in some ways it's difficult. I, I cannot bring myself to speak to a male doctor about uh, anything involving my uh, um, sexual organs, uh, whereas I feel free to talk to a woman doctor about it. So wow. I think there's another that, example. Yeah, and yeah. that's interesting, isn't it? Because yes. be, you'd think that was the opposite, that we should have more male doctors to talk about male sexual problems and females to talk to females. Yes. Yeah, so that's I, interesting. It's very embarrassing. I, I, I don't feel comfortable talking to a male about something down there. And um, it's uh, uh, you talked about earlier about prostate cancer. Well, there, there is another form of uh, prostate problems. There's the enlarged prostate. I put off for many years going to the doctor about uh, an enlarged prostate and I ended up having a, a, a TERP, which is a transutherial restri- resection of the prostate mm. at the SAN. I put it off many years. In fact, I went to the doctor and uh, he said, well, you've been here four years ago with the same problem. Uh, what do you want to do about it? So I said, okay, um, I'll, I'll have the um, the operation. I was getting up at uh, 2 a.m. in the morning and 4 a.m. in the morning or 1 a.m. or 3 a.m., uh, continually to empty my bladder, and uh, I just found that um, so debilitating because it broke the uh, sleep pattern. Mm-hmm. So I eventually said, right, I'll I'll do that. So I've done that, and um, it's uh, it's made a big difference. And I know some of some men that I know um, have of, often to go to the toilet 
um, during a social gathering and I think they're probably suffering the same thing. Yeah. But they don't want to speak to anyone about it. I think you should. So that would be a stereotype of not seeking support when actually support is needed, either physical or emotional. Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. Yes, we, we can't be seen to be weak yeah. in any... any. The other stereotype I think we should uh, try to break down, it'll probably take centuries, is the warrior mm-hmm. uh, stereotype. Warrior as in... Yeah, or, a yep. soldier. Yeah, 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 you know, we admire soldiers that uh, are in the thick of it and come through and win a VC. And oh, I don't detract from that from one moment. But step back a bit and put it in context, you know, we're, we're a war, we're, um, war is something that as society we should avoid at all cost uh, as much as we can. So here we are honouring um, warriors when we should be honouring equally, and I say equally, um, scientists, yeah. teachers, professors, yeah. all walks of life that uh, are at the top of their, their, um, their profession. Um, uh, that I find with the... You know, the, the bronze Aussie, um, there was a obituary in the Herald uh, during the week about a, a nurse. Um, she served in the nursing capacity during World War Two, and uh, in the later years. And uh, the story about her was wonderful. You know, she was a caring soul. And here we are, you know, probably didn't win any medals. Mm-hmm. Uh, she won, I think she was awarded a Empire Australia Medal or, or something equivalent um, but, uh, you know, the honour bestowed on people like that is not as much as the, the worries. I, I accept the fact that when you're under fire and you're being shot at, I've been in the Army Reserves in a USC regiment, and I know what it's like to be um, have uh, bullets uh, uh, crack and thump over your head. If any war correspondent says that uh, bullets were whizzing around the head, you know they've never been anywhere near a war zone because bullets uh, break the sound barrier when they go over your head. Right. Um, and that's where you get that crack and then the thump when they hit the, the ground ne- next to you right. or they ricochet off uh, buildings. We were always in a trench, so it was always the the, uh, the, the soil that absorbed the, the bullet, so it's the thud. So it's, um, you know, the, the stereotype, uh, what I'm working at is, in a clumsy sort of way is, of course we honour these people because they've put their lives at stake for other people. Of course we honour them. But I, I take a step back and say, look, as a society, we should be honouring the peaceful uh, attributes of scientists, etc. A couple of weeks ago we had Dave Sturmer on this show and he was he had um, very bad PTSD and he was talking about you know how, as a man, he, he taught himself how to do what he needed to do at war, but that was not natural for him to go into that aggression. And um, and I think uh, we were talking about it. It just isn't necessarily a, a preconceived plan that that's what, you know, a young, a young man grows up to be able to go out and do that and it not affect them, which is, I mean, as we can see in the rise of PTSD and mental health problems from returning servicemen. So tell me, Mikey, you, you've, you're in... Um, well, there are a lot of things there that I'd love your opinion on. Uh, but let's start back to front and talk about, you know, you're in the cadets, aren't you? Um, yeah, I'm in the cadet unit, which is a volunteer unit through our school. Um, and this is a mixed unit. So girls and boys working in the same platoons and sections, which that's the unlikely Australian army, which is still segregated. But um, this year we had a leader of the entire unit, um, was a female. This is the second time in the unit's 106-year history that that's happened. Um, and she was just as much a warrior, obviously in a different sense, because cadets is 
towards more scouts and camping than the real army. But um, she was just much a warrior and brave and roughing out in the field as any of the men. Um, and she competed several higher courses. That yes, some boys were like this too, but I don't think it was defined as a gender role. It was more the individual's character mm. than oh, he's being a man, she's being a man. Yeah. It's yeah. They were being courageous because of what they believed and how far they could push themselves. But of the people that you know in that cadet unit, who, as you say, it's it's a different focus. It's actually about uh, camping and adventuring. And yes, yeah. it's preparing you perhaps. But can you see, can you imagine those same people having to go on the front line? I mean, that's quite a scary prospect, isn't it? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, yeah, some I think- of them. One of the reasons I enjoy cadets so much is because it is cadets and it's um, doing it at school where there's no prospect of having to go that far. And um, the situation Australia is in that we wouldn't have to be called up. Um, Find it hard to see how many people in the unit at the moment would still be doing it, say we're in a time of war like um, the Second World War where boys my age would be called up or girls would be called up to nurses' roles and things. Mm. so, yeah, it's very different to, yes, we can say it would be this warrior figure, um, but how many people would actually do it when they get called up um, in that situation? And going back to um, showing emotion, do you find, what what is it like at social gatherings at your age? So, Pascali and I, I certainly have experienced it, that it, at, at our age when we go out to barbecues, the men talk about men things and the girls talk about women things and I came from the UK and that was the first time I'd seen segregation like that and it was really obvious here in a in quite a a weird way you know that it just wasn't done if you went and stood with the men talking then the other women were really not impressed yeah just like the men at the barbecue weren't impressed with me yeah 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 um I believe it's similar at my age because we have seen it growing up at these barbecues and social occasions that at a party on the weekend there will be groups of boys and groups of girls together and even in the playground at lunchtime at the moment it's kind of the group of your mates of boys and there'll be a group of girls over there and yeah you'll be friends but it is very divided Mm -hmm. and the attitude of I know saying used is doing it for the boys and it's almost um for your mates and that camaraderie that, oh, you should put them before anyone else. Yeah, that's interesting. The pressure, isn't it? There's a pressure to put your mates first. Do you find, in terms of the conversation you have, are you able to have heart-to-hearts? Are you able to talk about the things that are quite personal? Or do you find that you gravitate to females to have those slightly deeper conversations? I feel with some of my closest mates I can have those conversations, but... Yeah, more with girls at school or women I know that I can have those deeper conversations more easily. That guys I've known since I've been at the school since year three, so that's uh, nine years, I'd find it harder to have such a deep conversation with them than a girl I've known for a couple of years because they are more open and willing to talk about these things. Well, yeah, the boys will talk about the sport on the weekend or what you're doing, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. After the news, I might read a a blog that I picked up from Adam Warburton. He has written a call to all men about about exactly what we're talking about. So we'll come back after the news and talk about that. Uh, You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. 
I'm going to read A Call to All Men now by Adam Warburton. We meet in the street and shake hands, meet each other in the eye, or maybe we meet at work. Maybe you are my brother, my best mate, my boss, or maybe a stranger. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. We check each other out, cordial, polite, but quietly guarded. We share a joke and laugh, but not the uncontained joyful laughter we might share with our wife or daughter, but one that is a little more brusque, sharp, more controlled, a laughter that says, hey, that's funny, but you're not getting in, buddy. Nobody gets in. We talk about the little things, the big things, politics, sport. We share life experiences, but always underneath there is a game going on. Can you feel it? That unspoken competition that never dies? I tell you about my latest surf trip. Not to be left out, you talk about the great barrel you got the other day. Maybe, just to quietly show you aren't missing out. Oh, but maybe you don't surf, so you change the rules of the game. You mention your kids, they're doing really great, really, and your job. Oh, you just got a promotion. Fantastic, I say. And that's it, the game is over. A draw, as usual. You mention the weather. Oh, relief. Now that's something we can share without competition. The tension eases and we drop into that comfortable conversation where the status quo is not challenged. Meanwhile, we check ourselves. No harm done. Our walls are still solid. I am a man. I am great at the big issues. Threaten me, attack those I love, and I will not hold back. But please, please don't ask me how I am really feeling. Please don't ask me to relate, because I might just have to be vulnerable. I may just admit that it hurts. But there is no war, you say. To which I reply, there is always the potential though, and I need to be ready because this time, this time, I am not going to get hurt. Throw a rock. I've got the gun ready. You have a grenade? That's fine. I've been preparing for years. And so I bring out the rocket launcher. Or maybe I don't. Wait. Maybe I learned a long time ago to preempt what is waiting for me past the front door. So every time I open it, boom. Everything I have got just to clear the way. Nothing personal, just got to make sure. Because last time, come to think of it, I cannot even remember last time I felt hurt. I've been doing it for too long, but maybe I've got to stay prepared just in case. I close the door. All clear, I say to no one in particular. I turn to my wife, my child, and I drop the guard. I soften and relax. And so I think, I love you, I say. But it echoes inside my helmet, an empty sound if I ever heard one. I can't hear you, my wife says, and my daughter, she is looking at me all kinds of strange. Oh, I realise, and I take the helmet off and the gloves. I put the sword down and there I am in civilian clothing again, ready to be dad, ready to be husband. But unbeknownst to me, the game I started to play long ago continues. Only now it is the game that is playing me. It is a game that everyone unknowingly becomes a part of, whether I want them to or not. It is a game with no beginning or end, and the most painful part about it, it is a game that never stops. So underneath, unbeknownst to them, I keep the bulletproof vest on, just to be safe, just to be sure. They can't see it, and neither can I. I've been playing the game for too long, so I reach out from behind the wall, guarded but polite, considerate, caring, loving, but the question that I dare not ask myself threatens to raise its head. Am I really loving, caring, the way I know I want to be, or am I still just playing the game? Now, there is one thing that I know for sure. 
If you want to win the Tour de France, you have to train for it. You have to devote everything towards it. After a while, it shows in your body. It starts to change shape. Muscles harden. The eyes narrow their focus. A hollowness appears under your cheekbones and veins appear where once there were none, as the last remnants of fat deposits disappear. The hours and years of dedicated training have made your body that way. Then someone asks you to dance, but you can't. Your hips are no longer flexible. The hamstrings don't stretch far enough and you find that you no longer can touch your toes because your body has been configured for one thing only, to win the Tour de France. What is my point, you say? Well, at 6am I leave for work and I put up the shield, the armour, the tough guy face and I hold that until I get home every day five to six days a week. On the days off, I may socialise, go for a surf, hang out with friends, and so the shield is not as intense, but on those days my body is still in training, devoting it all to being protected, to strengthening the wall. All that devotion, all that training, and then magically I expect somehow that the body I bring home to my wife and child can suddenly change, soften, open up, be there to express the love I so desperately want to show. But the sad fact is I cannot, at least I cannot in full, because the armour is still there, letting nothing in, but also letting nothing out. Spend your life training for the Tour de France, and alas, when someone asks you to dance, you cannot. Sure, you can go through the emotions, hold your partner, make it look like you can dance, but deep down you know that your body is being held back by that choice you made long, long ago. So my fellow brothers, let us make a pact. When we meet in the street and shake hands, let us look each other in the eye, but this time let us really see. No need to hug or be soft or pathetic, but let us again be open. Let our conversation be true. Let us look at each other as if we might our wife or our daughter. At first, it may not be easy, but that's fine. It may take a while, but that's fine also. After all, training takes time. And if we are sincere, I promise you, our bodies can let go of the fight, let go of the armour, so that once again, at last, we can truly, deeply love. Pretty cool, right? It's something that takes practice. It takes practice to open up and remember how to let yourself be vulnerable. And vulnerability is certainly not something that we encourage in this society it's not something we talk about it's always a failing and we must make sure we're not vulnerable because someone might take advantage of us yeah particularly at work yes that's right that's right and you know the environments that men work in they are they're tough some of them you know and so mikey you want to be a doctor you yep. want to work as a doctor. As you said in your text, it was really interesting when you were telling me what you wanted to do. It was very clear that you were going to work as a doctor, but you weren't going to be a doctor. It wasn't going to define who you are. Just the just the language you used really made my heart sink because I could see that you will always be Mikey, but you will work as a doctor. Well, I feel that's also to have other areas that you don't just want to be someone that wakes up, goes to work, is defined as that that um, I'm also a runner at the moment. I'd like to continue that and continue surfing and enjoying music throughout my life. That Yes, um, that's what I do as my work and help people. But then I also want to have outlets that I can enjoy and laugh about with my friends and things. Mm -hmm. Which is vital when you look at the trajectory and what's happening in mental health with doctors at the moment. It's very important. I think, I mean, the, the numbers of suicide for doctors is 
terrifyingly high. I haven't got those with me. I just know it was quite a lot on social media this year. Yeah, there's a lot week. for uh, lawyers as well. Yeah. yeah. Now, you work as a lawyer, don't that's you? That's right. And that, that, that's a tough industry. It certainly comes across as tough in terms of you wouldn't want to show any vulnerability in that because someone would... You yes, know. they'd take advantage of mm. that uh, or um, belittle you mm-hmm. and um, diminish what you're doing. Yes, that's right. You, you can't be seen to be weak, uh, particularly in negotiations. So, um, yes, they, they worry a lot. In There's two streams of lawyers, the ones that work in private practice that have to bill, the six-minute unit, and the lawyers who, uh, like myself, who are in the government who don't have six-minute units to fill in. We each have e- equally difficult tasks, but I, I always admire the lawyers that work in the private firms because the, I was one for six and five and a half years I had to fill in a timesheet. You get used to filling in timesheets, but to have the continuous uh, goal of reaching, uh, you, you, what is it, the whip, the work in progress, um, it's it's quite uh, gr- um, grinding is the word. Mm. And also it, it robs you of your initiative because um, you can't get into a particular matter because the client won't spend, won't, won't pay for two hours of you um, looking at precedents or trying to work out a, a new way of doing something or looking at something differently. They'll say, no, and then that comes off your work in progress and then the partner gets stuck into you. So that d- disincentive, mm-hmm. which is really silly because um, you come to a lawyer to um, to solve your problems and sometimes problems can't be solved in A, B or C, somewhere in between. And a, a totally different way of looking at. It. Like I often, I got into trouble once in the in the government. Uh, we had a, an overpayment situation, and uh, and um, the answer was to get a um, instalment payment for the person who was overpaid. And I said to my boss, "They're not at fault here. They were overpaid by a mistake by a company. We should go to the company and say we want the money from you because you made the mistake." And I spent an hour arguing with my boss about that. And eventually that boss said, yeah, okay, just send the letter of demand to the company. We got the money back. Mm. And I won a bottle of, um, a, a can of soft drink. She said, mm-hmm. uh, I'll buy you a beer. I, I don't drink beer. I have uh, soft drink." So I won that. And I, I thought, I walked away and I thought, I spent an hour trying to convince this this uh, supervisor of what we should do. And it was so, in, so uh, costless to just send a letter of demand. Yes. It's interesting, isn't it? The You looked at it from a human point of view. What was the decent thing to do rather than let's go for them, like that dog-eat-dog? It's like, no. What's the what? Where is the mistake happened here and who needs to be responsible for it? The company. Yes, yes that's, that's right. Um, yeah, that's, uh, Mikey, I, I, I admire the way that you, you're thinking ahead and thinking, well, you're not defined by your profession. I, th- I think that I'm defined by my profession because uh, I'm a lawyer. I've trained as a lawyer and I always think of myself as a lawyer. That's why I've come on community radio. I've tried to do something other than being a lawyer. Um, and very, very welcome you are because it's true. We need people from all walks of life right. to come and do something different. You know? yeah, that's right. It's uh, something completely different. And Because uh, uh, I remember they told us at a uh, meeting that um, lawyers do something for your community, uh, f- if not for mental health, but just to be, you know, a contributor to society in general. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, I admire that uh, in you, Mikey. You've, you've, that's quite a mature thought. Um, so I wish you all the best in your future career. Thank you. Well, I think I picked that up from my dad, actually, that he works um, as a CEO, so an office job. But then he also, I remember looking at his CV once that he left open on the computer and it said, 
hobbies and outlets. I think it was soccer coaching, um, medieval history, and <laughs> I can't remember the third one. But th- that's what he listed. And yeah. he was my soccer coach for three or four years when I was in kindergarten to about year three. And that's something that he really enjoyed doing. So, yes, he'd go off to work. But um, that was one of his outlets that he could help his kid and my team of friends um, do soccer. And that even in his professional life, he boasted about that and said, these are also things I enjoy. Very, very valuable. I guess that more companies are starting to value that about people when they're doing the interview process. What, how balanced is their life right now? I, I really hope so. I think some of the tougher jobs that people can take doesn't. But um, you've just picked up on Robert, what Robert F. Kennedy said, the purpose of life is to contribute in some way to make things better. And really, that's what we're all talking about here, you know, that we've got to always remember. I mean, for me, the purpose in life is how can I help people remember who they truly are? You know, we're not we're not this bit that we've got to project to the world. We're amazing beings and really there is no difference between male, female, colour, race, creed, whatever. There's no difference. We're all essentially exactly the same. Oh, I agree. I, I totally agree. It's lovely as, uh, as young men to, to know your value to, that grows into a, an older man who equally knows his value and actually crucially important so we might actually talk about that. We'll have another song and talk about that because I'd love to talk about menopause. When you go through puberty, you're, there's a whole load of testosterone that comes up that, that is part of your development. Well, in that later part of your life, the testosterone settles a little bit and all the doubts come up and you know it's, it's producing less get up and go. All of a sudden, your identity is being challenged, and how men behave in that. So, we'll keep it very male centered after this next song. But you're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. We are talking men's health at the end of Men's Health Week. Now, um, in this last little section, we're going to be talking about menopause, but I thought I'd just sort of set the scene a little bit. Um, so, Michael Marmot. Um, is someone who looks a lot at the social determinants of health. So, for example, how things around us can infect the outcomes of our health. He picked up something that we've already spoken about, about what people worry about in their lives will affect and influence their health, factors like housing, security, jobs and neighbourhoods. Now, those are all things that weigh heavily on men's shoulders. Am I right, both of you? Do you consider... um, those things, your housing, yes. your security. Is that something you think about your future, Mikey? Do you feel that... Yeah, I definitely feel as a male that's something that I will have to provide and be relied upon as I get older. Not now as a 17-year-old, yeah. but yeah, expectations. Yeah, and that, that that's a huge weight, isn't it? I, I feel as a female that I have an equal responsibility to help with that. But I think that somewhere inside I do feel you know the man in my life when i was certainly when i was younger would would help me would help provide that for me just because i'm at that generation as well still so do you believe in those stories about the prince taking off the um driving away with it um, oh, the, the, with the princess uh, the... I, I think that is such a curse i think it's one of the worst things that disney did was make women think that they had to wait for this prince to come along. Prince Charming. Prince yes. Charming. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a curse to men and to women because it's it just caps both sexes. Um, it's not a fairy tale. Life isn't a fairy tale. Sometimes, you know, 
great things can come out of really appalling determinants. You can live in the wrong neighbourhood, but actually you can get your way out of it. Yeah, that you was know, the Commissioner um, Maroney. Yeah. Um, he was in a housing commission, but... Uh, became a police officer and went through the ranks and became commissioner. That's right. And a very decent guy, actually. Yeah, that that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. To remain a decent guy at the end of it, you mm. know, to find your... But I think that when you have seen disadvantage, it sends you one of two ways. One, you become very bitter about the disadvantage you've received or you understand equality and equity and you fight for it. You know, that's fairness. You know, what is fair and what is equitable? Um, at the same time, not sa- saying, I still have a right to earn the money that I earn because I'm going to work really hard for it. So it's not saying don't earn what you can earn, but at the same time, don't do doo-doos on someone else in order to get where you're going to get to. Because... Interesting, you, you mentioned Robert Kennedy earlier on. Yeah. Um, when he was growing up, he was a paper boy because his father insisted him on being a paper boy. But he went too far. He delivered papers in, in the comp, in the family Rolls Royce or whatever oh, it was. My His Lord. father found out and said, "You don't do that." <laughs> no, get on your feet or on your <laughs> yes, bike and yes. walk. But Robert Kennedy had a social conscience and wanted to make the world better, uh, even though he was from a very privileged family. Yes, extremely privileged. He did actually. Yeah, he did, yeah. and he he understood the the appallingness of that racial discrimination. Oh yes, the civil rights. Yes, we 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 you you forget how. How ingrained it was in in America, you mm. know the uh, segregation. They said it was for a, a cause similar to what the South Africans said uh, about that the, about their apartheid, but it was so ingrained. It oh, just, it's um, it's, dis- it's despicable humans behaving to yeah, I just, I, I, it's I just, something yeah, that gets you, my goat. A hundred years from now, people are going to say what? Mm-hmm. So like bloodletting. I but, hope they say what. Yeah, let's let's hope so. Let's yes. hope so. Yes. Um, so prevention of illness must be the focus in making people and communities and populations well and naming and uh, namely the addressing the social determinants of illness. So um, I think because we're in a you know, in the lead up to an election, it's a great opportunity for us to be talking about men's health and us to be talking about things that really should be in the, um, you know, that we should be discussing about being important, like affordable housing, good neighbourhoods, good schools, and making sure that all children benefit from health and uh, and that good, that the opportunities, or that there's an equity in that. Um, Social connectedness, also has a major positive impact on general health and well-being. And that's when we're talking about things like the football clubs and the uh, the way you meet your mates. Th- those are actually very vital to mental and physical health. And as you get older, sometimes you can't play football to the level that you thought you could and you might have to stop playing football but that has a major impact on your social life because then unless you are very dedicated and still go and support all of them, you've actually lost a great bunch of friends. Do you find, Mikey, that there is a pressure to stay part of things to keep your friends or are you are your friends doing all sorts of different things and you still always have each other? Um, well, I feel it's just at school we all have similar interests um, so we do have connections, but yeah, I know I do athletics and surf life that really none of my friends do, but, um, we are all kind of centered and you want to try and keep in touch with them. So, um, it is common, common interest will keep you in touch yeah. after school, isn't it? Um, and there's especially 
old boys rugby club I know and so that's boys that have obviously enjoyed rugby throughout their school career want to keep in touch with people um yes they join this club and they can have that common goal or common interest of rugby and keep social connections and it's more of a social club than a rugby club really One of the statistics that's quite shocking and quite sad is that um, there are there is a very high spike in young men who take their own lives between school and university or university and starting work. And I, I would question whether part of that is that one of the major things that people have in common is school. It's a routine that as much as people don't like it, they actually see their friends every day. There's somewhere to go. There's a social um, construct there. Same at university. So when both of those end and they don't have that... um, They're isolated. They're isolated and that's very dangerous. I mean, we can be isolated in the busiest places, as we all know, but I, I think that that's something that we forget. We We think it's all about clubs and sports and other things that we do, but actually the job, uh, the home life, the school life, the university life all play big parts in men's health and And don't forget, uh, apart from suicide, is the risk-taking, particularly motor vehicle accidents, the high proportion of young males who are killed regularly uh, in large statistics, uh, which is very sad, the risk-taking. So I wonder whether that's also um, um, an outlet of... Of that. That's very true. And funnily enough, that's what tips the death rate between male and female is the risk taking. It really, it's so much higher in men than women. Accidental death. Okay, so menopause, testosterone. Mikey, what can you tell us about testosterone? Um, obviously, I'm going through puberty at the moment and testosterone levels are skyrocketing and I'm seeing physical changes. Um, but this actually starts to reverse and cystic here is... Once you're over 30 years old as a male, each year your testosterone declines by about 1%. Wow. So this is starting to reverse and you can actually see physical changes that are reversing the ones you saw in puberty. So increased body fat, reduced muscle bulk, strength and bone density. So all these things, kind of you're growing up into a big physical man from a child is starting to reverse almost and your physical peak is starting to diminish Um Around the age of 50 is where it hits. Um, and some medical doctors will negate this, but there is um, proof that, yeah, these testosterone levels really affect both your mental and physical state as you get older. How are you feeling about this? Well, yes, after 50, it's all downhill. Um, <laughs> but I did say to someone that was a female doctor, I said, uh, Given the the lowering of testosterone, I'm able to concentrate more on my studies. <laughs> well, that's so, interesting. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. I, I don't know whether it's just a coincidence or not, but uh, yes. So yeah, it's it's declined because when you think about it, you remember the, at school where you had the science classes where you had the uh, cartoon of the the baby growing up to the adolescent to the young man, and then the decline, the stooping down to the old age. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is. It's a decline. We, you know, we. I've hit the age where I've looked at my the books in my study and think there's possibly no way I could read those before I die. So wow. I better not start uh, buying any more books, but I can't help it. It's just the way it is. But Pasquale, yeah, that's it, a that's a major statement. It is. It was. It's uh, yeah. It's a bit shocking uh, to think that. And um, you know, there's just so many things I'd like to read, and and I thought, well, if I read it, well, for what end? But then you just got to keep keep on going, I suppose, because, um, um, 
yeah, so I, I do want to contribute to society and um, education is the main way of doing it. The but, uh, value that you have to offer back, I, I've, we're going to do a menopause show in a couple of weeks and I, I, I feel it's the same for both. We, as a society, we don't value our elders as much as we should. You know, coming into that 50 plus Yeah, age, I've seen that myself at work. Yeah, yeah the, we have to realise that that age group, they hold an incredible wisdom well, it's experience. I remember yeah. the, the two people at work. One was very impressed with what I was doing and one wasn't. And the one that was impressed, I said, um, it's experience. Yeah. And the other one, well, they didn't want to listen at all. They they think, well, Harry Truman once said, you know, it's what you know after you know it all that counts. And that's so true. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, person that I was working with uh, just didn't want to um, listen to me at all. She she knew everything and uh, and I thought, well, I, perhaps I was like that when I was a young solicitor. I knew it all and didn't want to listen to uh, to older people. Um, that's the phase she's going through, but it really irks you when you're, you're on the receiving end of it all because I've seen it all. I've, I've been so many, in, in the public service particularly, there's always the recurrent problems. They come around every two years, three years, five years. It, it's quite obvious there's a pattern so, you know, you've been through it all. Right, this thing needs to be done. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, someone who's never hit it before, oh, what, what do we do? Yeah. They come up with something else or they, as they do, they um, outsource it, which yeah. is a real... So how did it feel when the woman when the woman sort of negated you and tried to... I was very hurt. Yeah. Very, very hurt. Um, but look, um, looking at it uh, in hindsight, I, I think, well... They're going through probably what I went through, but not as not as bad. I always respected my elders, um, but I, I, I don't know. I particularly I might be just oversensitive. That's probably what it was because it's an open plan. That's the other thing. When I was growing up uh, or in the public service, um, we had our own offices. Yeah, and now it's this open plan business. So we're actually cheek to jowl to people, and it is quite confronting because people can be chewing on a on get this. Um, packet of chips just up the road, just a few metres away and you can hear them crunching Yeah, and it can be quite annoying. Yeah. Um, and then people on the phone, some people got very loud voices, so yeah. you're trying to concentrate and they're talking about things Yeah. and you just can't help but hear yeah. and vice versa. You're on the phone and they overhear it and they get it in the wrong context. This person came out to me and said, I heard exactly what you said on the phone. I said, well, did you hear what the person was saying to me on the phone? And she realised what she'd said. Um, but look, you know, that's... It, 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 you've picked up a good one there. You picked up that you were hurt. Yes, and, I was very hurt. And yeah. I don't think she realised that. And uh, I always maintained cordial relations. I never believed in being uh, abrasive or, or nasty, or whatever it is at work, because you've got to work with people. One thing I do remember is I remember I went to a particular function and there were very old solicitors there. Uh, they were quite elderly and um, they introduced themselves to me and I said hello and um, I should have sat down and asked them about what they did. It would have been fascinating. But I was too young to think that. So uh, here they were. And uh, it was actually the Catholic Red Mass that uh, I met them. And uh, they were all solicitors and they, they, they were sort of saying hello and uh, reaching out. And, and I didn't didn't get that. Yeah. Oh, so as a shame. society, it yeah, would be great yeah. to, to encourage young, young men to see role models in society and as, as a male going into that role model period, 
you have the ability to give that back as a role model now. Oh, yes, yes. When uh, people ask me, I, I, I'm quite open. Perhaps I talk too much, but I explain things and give antido- uh, a- a- anecdotes and uh, explain things, perhaps a bit too much. But, uh, yeah, anyone who comes to ask, I always uh, quite open. And uh, just one thing about... Um, I read recently that Paul Keating used to, um, when he first entered federal parliament, would uh, um, go to the older caucus members Mm. and uh, ask them about their experiences. And the writer was saying that what Paul Keating was doing was just tapping into the wisdom of the older politicians and learning from their mistakes. Yeah. Well, that's what we should be doing. I mean, Mm. you know, we can do all the research in the world, the quantitative and qualitative studies, but the quantitative in particular is black and white. It's numbers, it's statistics. We've got to talk to people and find out what works and what doesn't and why people think the way they do and choose the things that they do to make a difference and, and talk to men about their health and ask, you know, why is it hard to go and get tested? Why is it hard to go and um, have a checkup? Pasquale, you have a list there of tests that people should have at particular ages. You're going to be tasked with sharing that just after these community service announcements. Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. We're coming up to the final little bit. I've got Pasquale and Mikey in the uh, studio with me. Mikey, what tests should we have early um, on? For 18 to 39-year-olds, some important checks would be our Blood pressure checks, cholesterol screening and heart disease prevention, screening for depression, so mental health issues, skin cancer and sexual health are very important ones people often overlook, um, especially in their younger years. Yep, and STIs are on the rise, terrifyingly. yes. Pasquale, what have you got for that next step? Well, the 40s and 50s, um, the prostate uh, cancer test, I think that's pretty important. One of the tricks is to go to a female doctor because they've got smaller fingers. <laughs> oh, that, that just gives me a little bit too much information. But things we're talking men's health, I yes. should just get over well, that. Well, yes, the prostate, that's pretty important, particularly yeah. if you're going to um, the toilet uh, at night. Um, have a look at the enlarged prostate. Get the doctor to look at that. Skin cancer, that's something that's overlooked. Uh, I go every six months. Uh, colon cancer testing, The um, there's a kit that's given out to people over 50s. And uh, it's a lot more convenient, the test these days. So my doctor said every two years, so I'll yep. certainly be doing that. And does that come through the post? Yes, it does. Yeah, I was going to say, yes. I, I saw, I read on one of the men's health websites that our female responsibility, the women in the house need to make sure that the test is used. So the test arrives, but everyone in the house needs to say, you know, dad, brother, uncle, whatever, go do it. It's a bit messy, but uh, it can be, well, it's a lot better now than what it used to be a few years ago when you yeah. had to actually use an ice cream bucket. I won't paint any more picture on that, but it's just easier. <laughs> okay. um, the screening for depression, the mental health, I think it's pretty important that um, if you're feeling down, speak to someone about it uh, because there may be some things that you can do. Um, so um, to, you, you, that's something, mental depression is, is uh, a killer and uh, the legal profession is um, very concerned about um, people who are actually um, so depressed that they've actually taken their own lives. So that's uh, depression. So uh, there's mental health kits or speak to your GP about that. And and also the stigma's gone, but not completely. The rule in the public service is you can be open, but we all know in the public service, as soon as you mention that you're mentally ill, your, your file's marked and that that's, that's wrong. Um, so... Um, the other thing is immunizations. Get a flu injection every year. It's so important. It's um, I have it every year because the flu is is a is a killer, particularly when you're in your 
in your 50s and 60s. So, um, and, and on that note, we'll say a big shout out to Jeff, who I hope is listening, who has had um, flu and he is back in bed with it this morning. So big shout out to Jeff from us. Age 60s to 70s, the blood pressure check, screening for depression, hearing test, dental exam, eye exam. My gosh, this list is long. Um, there's the skin cancer, the diabetes, which, uh, you know, is much more common in those later years. Actually, it's very common in the early years now because of the amount of sugar that's in our diet. But you've obviously also got the cardiovascular risk and the cholesterol risk as a result of the the diabetes being a contributing factor and overweight and obesity being contributing factors. So um, I think generally, uh, I always think, I always think with cardiovascular disease, we can start prevention for that very young by letting people in to our lives. You know how Adam Warburton was talking about the the shells that you put on, the costume right. you put on. I always think about your heart wanting to be completely open and to, and expressing and that we can cause problems in our heart when we hide it and when we make ourselves li- live less than we are, these amazing beings. So I always think cardiovascular risk, there are so many physical things you can do, but actually expressing, talking talking like we have today about the burdens and the expectations and actually not living them, living who you are regardless of the expectations. Anything else that anyone wants to speak about before we come to the end of the show? It's just being open. What about you, Mikey? Um, yeah, I feel as a young person growing older, that not just to live in the moment, but also to um, take time to yeah, talk to people. And yes, things may happen to you. You think, oh, I'll just brush it off. I'll move on. But there are people there that your friends, um, girlfriends, parents, that will sit down, talk to you about it, even though you think, oh, it doesn't really matter that much. It's just small, significant. But so they keep on building up, yeah. Um because I know several people have had issues, um, mental health issues, suicidal, that say they just stopped and had a chat to their parents, had a chat to friends earlier on, that things can be prevented and you can get help, yeah. That I think is a lot more available to girls that they can, uh, friends are open, but yeah, guys need to be doing it too. Yeah, fantastic. Wise words, young and uh, slightly older. Obviously not completely old, that's all right. (laughs) Look, thank you very much. Coming in at three o'clock, you've got Sunday Live and the Triple H League team coming on. Thank you to my guests today, Pasquale Vartuli and Mikey Nicholas. Thank you very much for being on. You can listen to Pasquale on Pasquale Presents at three o'clock on Saturdays. 3 p.m. Saturday. Yep. Um, Thank you for listening. Uh, The podcast is available through Stay in the Loop with Lucy website and on SoundCloud as soon as I can get it uh, edited. I've just got to take the music out. Um, Sign up for updates either through that Stay in the Loop with Lucy webpage or the Facebook page and you'll be told when it's when it's going up. Uh, links through all those spaces are available through the Triple H homepage as well, the show page. So thank you very much for listening. Be kind, be loving, be you, and I will see you all next time.